Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. It's Chuck and Bob, another episode of Don't Die. Hello. 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 Uh, we're out there fighting the good fight every day at the different treatment centers that we work at, trying to educate the young drug addicts about how to survive until you get sober. That's really the message. Yeah. Survive until uh, you get sober. That's one thing that you, me, and Mike were able to do. Yeah. I mean, until the ripe old age of 30, which at least for me. So that's what I thought we'd talk about. I went to my first 12-step meeting when I was a senior in high school. My English teacher took me, right? Because mm-hmm. I was drinking Bacardi and Coke in class. In a Del Taco cup, <laughs> of course. Not in like a, you know, in a boiler maker glass i was drinking a bacardi and coke in class she noticed but she didn't say anything then later she said i want to speak to you after school robert i came to her class i liked her a lot she said do you think you have a drinking problem and i said why would you ask that and she said well i know what you have in your cup and i Mm. was like oh that didn't fool her And so she asked if I wanted to go to a 12-step meeting. And I liked her a lot. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll go. And I met her and I went to Laguna Beach. And this would have been 1979. Wow. I went to a Laguna Beach AA meeting on a Friday night. I remember I thought one thing, cool for old people. (laughs) That's exactly what I took away. (laughs) Really cool for old people. That's really all there were. (laughs) <laughs> Even in 85, when I first showed up there, they were all old folks. Yeah, really cool for old people. So I had to get old, obviously, in order... To think about it, though. That was my first take on it. Really cool. I didn't have any negative things about the God stuff didn't bother me. I just saw the love and the kind of funny and the laughter and whatever. And I just thought, really cool for old people. I then went on my journey in and out of rehab after rehab and 12 step meeting after 12 step meeting from 1984 to 1996 when I got sober 12 years of in and out right so Hmm. I didn't go to another meeting from 79 till 84 and then I became old and then I fit in (laughs) (laughs) no that's about that's about almost exactly the same thing. I think I was uh, 15, my first first one, and just freaked out by how old everybody was. And then in 85 was when I first really started going. So that was... Uh, so how old were you then? Three years later. How old were you in 85? 18. Oh, okay. And then, and then another 12 years till I got it in 97. Okay. Now... I, t- I tend to know Mike's story. Never went, not interested. When he did become interested, sober since that day. How about that? I but love still, that. But still at like 32, weren't you, Mike? 30? 30. See what I'm saying? I don't remember. Most people get sober in their 30s is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And we're sending 19-year-olds to it. And then we're right. mad at them that they don't get it. I, I don't care that they don't get it. I just don't want them to die. And then go through their journey, whatever that journey is. It's up to the individual. And usually, 
somewhere along the line, 12 years later. No, but most people get sober. That's my philosophy. Until now, most people got sober. Now, most people are dying. Well, yeah, man, that it's crazy how many people... It used to be if you'd sit 20 or 30 people in a room, four or five of them would raise their hands if they say, if they, say they lost someone close to them. Now, it's almost, all of them. It's the opposite of. I mean, one or two will put their hands up and say uh, they hadn't, you know. Yeah. It's crazy. So that's all I'm on a mission from. Like, I work in treatment. I'm not saying this, that, the other thing. I, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of neutral about a lot of the things that people in my occupation and in my grace of life are not neutral about. Because I know that it was neutrality and welcoming and love and kindness and non-judgmental and not telling me what to do that kept attracting me to it. People who preached and shoved it down my throat and whatever are people that kept me a little bit longer out there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think your buddy would agree. Yep. Right? No, no, no. yeah. Speaking of your buddy, I saw Jack last weekend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did you really? I did. I, I haven't seen him in a, a few weeks. So He's my son music. stage managed the stage he played at the Warp Tour. Oh, I got nice. there right as they were coming off, and Jack was drenched in sweat, wearing a wool suit. I was like, dude, it's 110. What are you doing? He goes, got to wear the suit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know you know what he does? It's cool. He's because got to wear the suit. He has to. He has to Even when suit. it's 110. For the cause. He, he, <laughs> that he, is a punk rock cause. He, well, he... He does it on eBay. Uh, he sells them on eBay yeah. when he's done with them, and then he then he donates the money to. Um, They're all signed. Charities. It's all yeah. signed. His jacket is all signed right. by people. Who are the, all the Warped Tour people? For that one, yeah. But I mean, he's done that with the Coachella suits. Oh, really? He had two for Coachella, and and he sells them with the creepers that he's wearing too. And I uh, didn't notice his shoes. I imagine well, there was some sweat down there too. Well, but he <laughs> was covered in sweat. He's a, he's a trooper. He, he gives it. Maybe. That was a fun thing, you know. Warp Tour is a good thing. Oh, my. Are you we're calling? Call- yeah, we're calling him right now. <laughs> okay. We're pranking we're calling Jack, Jack to see if he'll answer. <laughs> well, I, I called him about... He is a pillar of life. I called him a while back, and he didn't answer. Well, let's so. text right, him. He's probably asleep. It's 830. <laughs> <laughs> he goes to sleep very early. Does he really? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. This is the voice of Jack Grisham, and you have reached my personal and very private voice. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, well, well. So, so anyways, I just, that's my mission. I want to help encourage young people that are obviously landing in rehab because they're, that's where addicts who run their course and have no money end up to like, get some knowledge like the beastie boys used to say kick some knowledge down to the young people like listen don't mix benzos and opiates it's not that hard i'm not telling you what to do but don't do that i'm not saying go to the 12 steps or stop using or don't smoke weed or all this all the other stuff everyone else is saying i have no opinion about it i'm not your mom i'm not a cop i'm not proselytizing anything but don't do things that are so dangerous you're not going to make it to your late 20s and your early 30s where you have more knowledge more insight more life experience that you make better decisions that's all i'm saying you're you're not you're not building great stories if you're not around to tell them yeah you know (laughs) well let's go through a millennial story oh he went to he started going to rehab when he was 16 then he died when he was 21 
That's the story. <laughs> that's, that, that's dude. You live. You lived at my sober <laughs> living. You know. I know. That's that's rough. the story of those kids. Yeah. And it's got to stop. And so the new thing is Suboxone's going to stop it. I it just that whole national declaration of an opiate epidemic. Just so you know, what's behind that is forty-five billion dollars worth of Suboxone, and used as a taper to come off heroin. Fantastic. Used. No, as I don't a, think. They, I don't think they're using it as a taper. I know that's my problem with it, and I, I I'm having a hard time with anything with maintenance attached to it. Well, let's just see. So the death rate has gone up and up and up and up and up and up and up. They're going to roll out this Suboxone in 2018. Let's just see if 2018's death rate goes down. It might. I think it will. It might. It, abs- it absolutely has that ability to take the fentanyl out of the, and, and the accidental overdose out of the precaution because now you've got something that's measurable. You know, I was talking to some E, what do they call EMTs? Emergency, yes. what do they call it? Emergency EM- medical technicians. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're finding kids on fentanyl and they do the one shot in Narcan, it doesn't resuscitate them. So this, there's, they're going around like with triple dosage, you know, three things. And this other guy I talked to came up with one that has five doses in it. That's how crazy America's become. There's dead people everywhere in bathrooms at parks in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Mississippi and Alabama. They're just, you just, a little kid goes into the park to go pee at nine in the morning. Oh my God, there's a dead guy in there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's. So if Suboxone does stop or reduce that, I don't know what else to say. I wouldn't take it. I don't want my friends taking it. I don't think it's, I think it's a cul-de-sac. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, that's funny because I quote you on that all the time. When people ask me, they'll ask people in the rehab, they'll say, "So what do you what do you think about that?" And I'll say, "You know what? My friend Bob summed it up the best, and that is, you know, great if it keeps people from dying, but not for my friends because <laughs> I, I'd rather see my friends, you know." And it, it, well, one thing, let's think about that. So most of me and my friends got sober. The ones that needed to get sober got sober. A couple died. But most got sober. When you think about how that happened, there's a deep, rich experience of friendship there. So when I got sober, Mike and Morty were sober. So I had people to talk to and hang out with, right? Mm -hmm. Then I was sober. I think it was just the three of us in the beginning. Then other friends got sober, right? So you had your friends that you would use drugs with, that you had grown up with, that you had been in bands with and been through thick and thin with who were sober. So as soon as you got sober, you had a group of people to hang out with. These kids going to rehabs, especially coming halfway across the United States to go to rehab, have none of that. They have no friends. They have no support group. It's all kind of artificial. And that's why you have this transient nature to the Southern California and Florida uh, rehab market. Because they're not getting sober and waiting for their best friend from high school who's going down the drain to get sober so they can hang out and get an apartment together. That's what happened. That's what happened in my group of friends. <clears throat> my friend Chris Hoya had gotten sober. Uh, when I got sober, I stayed at his house and Keith lived in the neighborhood. Then I hung out with him. Then he told me to get a job. Then I got a job. Then Mike lived down, down the, around the way. Um, and we were all together and, 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 all of a sudden, when I went to 12-step meetings, I knew like I'd been in bands with like four of the people. Right. You know what I mean? So that's pretty but cool. But that was all post-high school, right? 
Yeah. So this, this is, is all po- post-high school, living on your own. I'm 35 and years old life. at this point. <laughs> right. But I mean, you went out there and you lived life for a while, and that's where you met those people. Because just, just in contrast, on last Friday, I went down to a place in Huntington Beach where a friend of mine was having a 50th birthday, and people came in from all over the place. And, you know, we're all on that verge of turning 50 right here. And there's a whole room full of people that were all doing the same thing I was in high school, but they all jumped out of it at, say, 19, 20, 21, yeah. when I kept going. Yeah. And they all have, they're all having beers and smoking weed or whatever they're doing, yeah. you know, and they're having fun with it. And it didn't bother me that I couldn't partake. But I'm noticing that I'm the one out of that group of like 20 people that were there that kept going and, and blew up everything. I know, but all those ones, I think, I don't know, all those ones in, to me, everybody who had a drug problem moved to Hollywood. Like I lived in Huntington Beach. I went to Marina right. High School. Well, I'm I not going to fucking stay there. I end up in I wanna, Hollywood too. I want to yeah. go where it's not as illegal to possess heroin. <laughs> right. Where they're more worried about chasing <laughs> Dude, when murderers. I lived, even because uh, I lived in Costa Mesa when I was 20, in 1981, I got stopped by the police every, three times a week. Three times a week. Just in a left turn, doing nothing wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you in see? LA, that never happened. Oh, no, you could get away with so much more. Did you see Jerry uh, Roach's upset with Costa Mesa that they wanted to <laughs> put the cuckoo's nest on a building? Like, it's like Costa Mesa, home of the cuckoo's nest. Oh, really? To make yeah, some money off like, it? Yeah, like, oh, hell no. No way. Don't you dare pay homage to me when you guys didn't allow us to live there. Yeah, Costa Mesa PD. Oh, no. I mean, it, that was one of the hardest places to be a punk. And you, people had to like sneak in and out to be able to get in and out of that You place. know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I realized, like, I think I've got what it takes to live in Hollywood, I left. You know what I mean? I lived in, in Costa Mesa. I went to Golden West College. And then I was like, fuck this. I'm moving yeah. to Hollywood. And... You know, the first place I got was in downtown L.A. It had no, it wasn't really a place to live. <laughs> Just sort of a, but sort it was of a like, loft. It was like a floor, <laughs> a half a floor of a building, and the guy who was renting it to me lived on the other third, right? And I paid 400 a month for like 3,000 square feet, but there was no kitchen or bathroom or whatever. I didn't really need one, <laughs> right? It was, it was live work before artists yeah, live yeah. work. Yeah, and we put, um, the. you know who used to go there, Mike? The Hanson brothers. I think they're the ones that hooked me up with it. And then... Not the Mbop Hanson brothers. No, they're friends of me and Mike's. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been really cool. <laughs> Chris, and, Chris and Mitch Hanson. And uh, and we used to get uh, those really bad lawn chairs that like are made of the plastic fiber from Thrifties and <laughs> yeah. sit up on the roof of my building and drink wine and watch the sun go down cool. over downtown L.A. And that's what I want to inspire young people to do. Dude, we didn't have a bathroom. There was like a hole in the ground that we were pretty sure went to the sewage. <laughs> oh, dang it. And if you Snorted. had to poop, you went downstairs in the bar. <laughs> nice. There was a bar on the first floor. There's the second floor a bunch of artists lived, and then this is the third floor. Oh, but cool. you could pee down in the hole, right? I, I don't, I'm assuming yes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no one ever complained. So I figured. So it I had to be going somewhere okay, <laughs> right? Somewhere. It wasn't coming out of the bar. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it had a toilet in the hall, but that toilet didn't flush or work, right? It was a dryer vent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but you understand what I'm saying? Like, that was a pretty harsh 
change from Costa Mesa house by the fairgrounds with two roommates. Whoa. But I just was so tired of going to Huntington Beach jail. I was in the parking lot of Safari Sam's one time doing nothing, nothing, just standing there. And four cops, two, two squad cars, four cops get out. Can I see your ID? I said, what am I doing wrong first? And they fucking poof, beat the shit, bash my face against the wall and stuff. <laughs> when you're living in a fascist state that Orange County was, if you're smart, you get out. Oh, you had to, you had to move because isn't that Mike? What is that? What you did? Long Beach was kind of harsh too, right? Seal no, Beach. I, I He's from Huntington. Seal Beach. No, no, I lived in Huntington. Okay, you did, and then I you grew got up out in of Sunset there. Beach. And I yeah, lived Sunset Huntington. Beach. Huntington. I remember where your dad I used to live. Huntington Beach. So when did you get out of there? Did you get out of there first? First, did you get out of there because of the police? beating you up and harassing you uh, i got beat up a lot of times by the police the seal beach police were really bad <laughs> but the uh, um can you imagine yeah, seal well, beach? sunset beach doesn't have their own so seal beach used yeah. to cover that no, yeah, the seal beach police were very notorious now it's huntington but so so we just vomit where'd you go mike to i moved disgrace to May, i moved to maywood when i got in my first like band funeral 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 mike mark's first maywood, band right in the middle of, i mean guns and gangsters and right in the middle 56th street maywood but horrible but that was better than living in the the beautiful suburban huntington beach getting beat up all the time right and then i moved to hollywood yeah and then that's when i met mike one of the first times i met mike was at disgrace and i was like that guy is scary i remember thinking that i think i remember me and anthony thinking that like that mike mark guy's pretty scary and then you meet wait, him and he's wait, like a teddy bear why was he scary because they like they seem like people that really had guns. <laughs> well, funeral. It's not like they were. <laughs> we like, are you? Would you consider that you're a gun person? Uh, I own guns. Yeah. See, yeah. but weren't I was I'm I was not a gun guy, and then just like you know, punk rock was scary enough with the lads. You ever heard of this thing yeah. called the L.A. Death Squad? Absolutely, yeah. So now I'm like, I'm just like this kind of wimpy punk rock guy with like half hair long, half hair shaped. <laughs> and now I got to deal with like the lads, which I didn't even, I, at first when I heard it, I thought it was labs, like Labrador Retrievers. <laughs> <laughs> and then, it, the and then I, I remember asking somebody like, what is, what are the labs? And they said, labs, lads, the lads. I said, what is, what are they? Cause they're scary fucking guys. And they were like LA death squads, dude, don't fuck with them. And I was like, I would never, even they've, after they've the been gone, is, they've been gone for a really long time. But they're they no were, longer around. I but know. you understand, they were scary. So I'm coming up. Yeah, going yeah, to the they, were they, and, they were they were a prison gang. Sure. But they were punk and rockers. They, and they were punks. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember seeing a guy who was huge. He was like Hell's Angels big. He was like broad, bald, one golden earring in his left ear, and it said "Death R Us" on his back with a back Death guitar. Death R Us. Like, yeah, like Toys R Us. But yeah, it was just like I was, I'm not fuck with that so, guy. So. So that you see, I would get drunk and mean, but not that stupid. <laughs> not never stupid enough to fuck with the lads. Well, and then so I started hanging out at the cafe when I was like nineteen, coming up from Huntington Beach. Then when I moved to L.A., I just was at the cafe every night. I would just be there. And then Michael Brennan said he seemed like I was what was called like you didn't know what I was. You didn't know whether I was a new romantic. 
these, these were the topics back then. A new romantic, a punker, or a, a real punker, because there were punkers and then real punkers. The lads were real punkers, right? Yeah. Then there the were hardcore, hardcore, yeah, hardcore, a lot different. Like, yeah. like I liked the Dead Kennedys, but I didn't like MDC. Well, Bob, you, you know had that, I mean? you had that, you had that, like that, that Boy George hat and the dreadlocks, <laughs> and yet on stage you would smash a beer over the top of your head. <laughs> Nobody could figure out what the fuck Nobody was going on. They're like, <laughs> so, so that was the thing. Like I, but I, um. So I looked like I was the kind of audio geek that knew about records. I kind of, I hung out there for like a year. And so Michael Brennan said, I'm thinking of putting some turntables upstairs and can you DJ? Do you know how to DJ? And I was like, yeah, I know how to DJ. Oh yeah, I'm the best. Yeah. <laughs> I, go. I did know how to DJ. I knew how to, well, I worked at Golden West radio station. So I knew how to segue from one record to the other. So mm. I got this job at the coolest club in Hollywood. I'm 20 years old. I'm not even old enough to drink. Right, I'm living in a loft in downtown LA. If I would have stayed in Huntington Beach, I'm sure I would have gone to prison, because I'm that antisocial, argumentative, enough is enough, fuck you. That a lot of my friends that were down there that ended up in prison, they they don't really, they're not really, they became prison people. They grew up in Huntington Beach and the same families we grew up in, but they just have that fuck you attitude and they didn't know to get out. Get where there's people like you. That was Hollywood. Yeah, to find the tribe. You know, there's a lot of times I got arrested just for my attitude. I mean, not holding anything, not committing a crime, but exactly that thing. Where are you going? What are you doing? Can we see some ID? And then it's like, before well, I know it, they're smacking my head against the car before they put me in the back and I'm going to jail, released at 2.30 in the morning. Yeah. With no charges filed. Yeah, the, I would get released too. Yeah, and it was the, just like, what What was that about, man? And they just wanted me to know who no, there owned was, that corner. There was definitely a police need to smash this punk rock thing out of our community in Huntington mm -hmm. Beach for sure. It didn't work. Kind of did. I left. Mike left. <laughs> you just didn't leave. You, you need to come down. No, I, I did. <laughs> I went to Long Beach and then oh, okay. to LA. Oh, yeah. okay, good. See, so everybody just, people forget like what it was like. I, I literally didn't know if I was going to be in school the next day because you get arrested and then you'd be released, yeah, like you said, at 5 a.m., wandering as, around. Yeah, as like, soon as the liquor stores closed and the bars were closed, then they'd think about le releasing you. Yeah, and I remember I got in a, a, a really serious charge of evading police on a moped, <laughs> on a moped, nice. and it was like a felony. I, and I, you know, my sister hired a lawyer for me. And I was like, the lawyer's like this, you know, they're looking two to five. And I was like, two to five what, for riding weeks? a moped weeks, away from police. Can't you argue? I didn't know that they were after me. I turned left on Hyle. I went through the park. I went out and I, but then when they all swarmed on me, I stopped. Right. But they said, so they wanted me to stop by the shell station at, at Hyle and Edinger. Right. And I just went into the park and then went through the back thing into the track home thinking I was smart and getting away. And there's only three in, three exits out of there. So they just all went to three entrances and swarmed on me and I was trapped inside the housing, you know, the, you know, the, whatever, the track homes, right? Oh, on my man. moped. That was a felony. Evading police. Oh man, I don't even think it's a felony now. Those guys, those guys that do the, those guys that do those massive chases. I, last time I was in jail, I was there with a guy that got in a chase where he ended up 
running the car into the LA River and um, smart move. And then he one of the cops got hurt trying to chase him, broke his ankle or something, and he only had like ninety days added to his sentence. So let me let me ask you this. I've gotten you I've trapped you, Chuck. Uh oh. I just trapped you. I don't I don't want to trap Mike because his kids are too young. But <laughs> but if it's okay that we looked fondly back on these memories of our adolescence and young adulthood, why do we not allow our adult children the same rite of passage? It's, it's been a dilemma for me forever because when my older son developed problems like your sons did, um, you know, we all tried to talk to him um, and he, he understood that we loved him and we didn't want him to go down that road, right? And this is when he was about 16. He came to me very seriously and said, Dad, I know that you and so-and-so and so-and-so are worried about me or whatever, but if you ever understand it from my point of view, all three of you were worse than me. Um, and you're good guys, and you turned out all right. My 16-year-old son said that to me. When me and couple of my friends sat down and talked to him one I talked to him lots of different times then this other guy came over to talk to him went in his bedroom for like two hours tried to talk to him then my other friend talked to him we went over to his house and I dropped him off at his house and I mm -hmm. went and ate all three of us tried to talk to him about drugs and how we were worried about him and blah 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 and his response after thinking about it for a couple of days was all three of you were worse than me you're all great guys you're all great musicians I love and respect all of you. Why are you doing this? And I really didn't have an answer. You know, the typical answer is, well, I don't want you to suffer the thing. But when you and I talk about what we were like when we were 18 and getting chased by the cops and getting bailed out of jail or released out of jail, we look at it with a fondness. We need to allow our children to live their own lives. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I understand what you're saying. I also, you know, there's that need, the desire to go to that, that fallback answer of, we want to protect them from the parts that hurt because it wasn't Why? just fun. Why? No one was protecting us from the parts that hurt. And we hurt, and that's what made us the people we are. I don't know. I don't know why. I'm. T I, yeah, you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And this I'm, is for all the parents out there. I wanted to draw you all in. You like hearing the stories of old punk rock and the cuckoo's nest and cops and drugs and and, and rock and roll. But no one wants but no to be one wants any it to happen stories. to their children. No new stories, just all old ones. Right. Well, because we know how our stories end. You know, so our, our stories have my a semi-happy semi ending. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, but I think that one of the biggest mistakes I made was sitting around the table in the backyard in early sobriety when my kids were little and telling all these fouled up stories in front of them to make it look attractive, more attractive. Yeah. I should have let them find it on their own. And I should have been a little bit more, held my cards closer to my chest when they were little because otherwise all they see is five guys sitting around smoking cigarettes talking about how great this was and how fun it was and all these times like what we're doing sometimes and but it was we would laugh and laugh and laugh because the worst the story is the more to laugh about right i mean yeah. all the things that at the time like yeah. there's something to this and i'm not, i haven't thought it out that clearly i just remember that i've talked to so many thousands of parents that don't want their kids to even know they did drugs I go, they already know you did drugs. You're a friend of mine. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of didn't end up in rehab AA or whatever friends that I have. They'll well, want me to talk to their omission, teenage though, kids. To, to not tell them that's lying by omission. And we tell them not to do that. We, we don't want them to. We want to tell them the truth. The, the truth that wasn't told to me is that I wouldn't go crazy if I smoked weed. I'm just picking my battles. I just don't want young people to die before they can start to gain, gain the insight that most people who live into their 30s and 40s and 50s gain. That's all. And this idea, you know, the, the Trump administration is like tr trying to come down on pot, like it lowers your IQ. Like you lived in this country, you need to be that smart to live in this fucking country. The Trump administration should want people's IQ to be lower because that's the only way you'd have this shit. That's all of their supporters right <laughs> I, there. I know. Mountain so Dew why, and pot. So why are they And cheap painkillers. Uh, uh, people's <laughs> IQs going down. <laughs> like, I didn't get it. Like, oh my God, pot. Like, let's pick our battles. Let's just start with Oxycontin, fentanyl, heroin. Let's just focus on that. Let's not start commenting on pot and, and you know, whatever else they want to distract the real... Agenda. alienating kid rock <laughs> oh god please do <laughs> he's gonna be a senator i hear oh my god i can't wait everyone's joke that's a joke like no it's not look who's president i i'd vote kid rock is smarter than trump i can tell you that at least he's he gonna had be laughing smoking a big spleef up there <laughs> maybe he can talk to trump and get this whole See, pot I, iq I thing wrong i don't think republicans are pot smokers i think they're prescription people I think I think more. I don't. Think so they're, they're going after the liberals in the pot. <laughs> I think so. Well, the liberals at this point. Yeah, but if the liberals are going to endure this kind of madness, they need their IQs lowered well, too. I, 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 I think it's like dude. What you all said. those twenty-somethings back in the Midwest, man, they're all just garbage cans like us. So yeah. The, well, well, what? What they need to do is is choose their battles, like what so, you were talking about. They need to pick which which hill they yeah, want to they want to stake reduce their life on. The death rate. Let's stop what's killing people first, because when people say there's zero deaths from marijuana, that's not true either, because it causes all sorts of medical complications. From maybe you can't overdose it on on overdose on it the same way you can the heroin and the fentanyl. I guarantee but, you nobody's but, dying of pot tonight, and there's probably four kids unless they die have of, cancer uh, from it, or unless it causes other problems. I'm just saying it's not harmless. You don't think McDonald's causes that Pepsi you're drinking causes cancer? Come um, on, Chuck. Not in the same way. Come, I'm sorry. What? Lungs are meant to breathe air. Anything you smoke is not. How good long for did you, you smoke cigarettes for? Um, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> come on like, come on no no let people listen this is america where I'm, everybody's supposed to be able to do whatever they want mike jumped in and you jumped in and okay. what i'm saying is they need to choose their battles leave the marijuana alone but to say it's harmless is idiocy to say it's better than kids doing opiates hell yes let's stop the kids from dying today Focus on the opiates, try the Suboxone thing, and then we can deal with the Suboxone epidemic next. That's what I figured. And let the kids go back to smoking weed the way they we did because we didn't die from that. It didn't okay, cause the problems. Okay, let me tell you a fun thing that I had with some kids. So kids can put the opiates aside when you really love on them and really educate them and you really attach with them and you really kind of care about them, but it's an exhausting mission, Right. Mm -hmm. I did it with a lot of those kids in that house, right? Then they end up smoking pot. And, and then they want to get a job that you can't test positive for pot and get a job. So I say, well, dude, 
you know, what are you going to do? Half this country, you got a drug test to have a job. You got a drug test to be a driver for UPS. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, to do a pizza delivery. Pizza, I don't know. Pizza delivery? It just, had a guy, just happened to a guy. You're kidding. Yeah, no. You can't even deliver pizza stone, Mike. What kind of America is that? Uh, as illegal as illegal as it is. I don't know. You should be able to be stoned and deliver pizza. You have to be stoned to deliver pizza. Well, apparently, apparently if you're driving, because a lot of the places, they have their own vehicles. Oh, so you have to. Oh, yeah. my God. If you're driving so anyways, their vehicle, then. So then the no. pot thing becomes a. A, because pot stays in your system so long, right? right. So, it ta- it, you know, even with shitty drug tests, it's seven days it stays in your system. So, th- so there's no way you can have a job, an entry-level job in America, and 50% of the businesses, Amazon drug tests, Amazon's a big employer of, of low-income or low-skilled low labor in Washington, right? A lot of kids I know getting jobs at Amazon. You know what I mean? Right. You so can, you can go in without. Yeah. No, without, you, no, without you don't a need trade. GD. You get in there. You make 14 bucks an hour. Well, that's fucking golden. Mm-hmm. But you can't smoke pot. So I think we don't even have to talk about the pot thing. You know what I'm saying? But they, they tried to make it all ambiguous, uh, all confusing. We just want to reduce the death rate. That's what the Trump administration announcement on Thursday was about. Right. Reduce the death rate. State of emergency. Opiate epidemic is out of control more americans die in a year than died in all of the vietnam war from drugs we still talk about the vietnam war Mm -hmm. they're dying in 2017 at the rate that that it will be more in 2017 than died in the entire vietnam war so let's put our energies as a nation and 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 bipartisan and try to save young people's lives any way you can suboxone education um, coming down harder on the fentanyl dealers. Like they, they, they seem to smash up South Central Los Angeles and kill half the population to get rid of the crack epidemic. Why can't they do that with this fentanyl coming from China? You know what I mean? Find who's doing it, fucking crucify them, give them 100 years in prison. There's a way to reduce this fentanyl death thing in America. Mm-hmm. They're killing people. They, and... There was a new figure. There was a new way of comparing it, and that was that you know every three weeks, was it every three weeks? It's nine eleven. It's the nine eleven. I know every That's three just weeks. Insane, and and you know that was, and that was horrible. And it, so the that sad part is, is it's going to have to affect so many more families. I've known so many people that are affected by it now when it used to be no big deal, but there's still the the assholes out there that go, oh, another overdose, just the trash taking itself out. That's fantastic. Cures the problem. You want to get rid of the drug epidemic, just let them all have all they want. Yeah. Well, I just, I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to take all efforts on every part of the society. Okay the justice department and local law enforcement need to go after the fentanyl people and find out where the fuck is this coming from and stop it. They were able to stop crack cocaine. They can stop fentanyl, right? So, but we as whatever we are progressives or whatever have to allow that that is a necessary uh, kind of thing that I may feel uncomfortable about a police state trying to find out where this fentanyl is coming from. And you know, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, of course. I know where it's coming. It's coming from the, you know, it just hit Los Angeles. Did you see the thing by by Disneyland? 
No. So there was a fentanyl, uh, obviously, drop location at a motel uh, by Disneyland. The two people doing it died <laughs> so oh. from the mass amount of exposure to fentanyl. So they had to have a hazmat team come out. They had to close off the block. It was crazy. Crazy. So whoever, wherever that fentanyl comes from, I hope the Santa Ana police or Anaheim police are tracing it back. I hope the feds are trying to figure out who are the motherfuckers that brought that into the United States and let's go crucify them, right? Because it's different than pot or coke. I'm sorry. This is one thing that we need our law enforcement to go after these fentanyl people and fucking crucify them. Right. Then we need the Suboxone because treatment is not working for this generation God, of people. I hate agreeing with you because I know you're I, extreme. I know. And then you and me need to roll out the Don't Die Mom support group across the United States. Don't die. Educate your kids and help parents to allow their adult children the dignity of their own human experience. That you know, means I don't pay your cell phone bill. I don't pay your car insurance. I'm not, I'm no, I'm no longer responsible for you financially. I'm sorry. Now I, and, and the, and we need to talk more about girls, right? I'm, I'm ready to talk brass tacks. It is different for parents of girls than boys. I understand that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I've to, never, to never shut out a girl before. and let her go to the streets or whatever. That's a very different thing than boys. So at least let's do it to the boys. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I know. I, I just had my first daughter. I don't think I could turn around uh, just say, no, you're dead to me. You can't come in my house. You've got no money. Go do whatever someone like you has to do to get we your need drugs. some big brain people There's to, no, to start working on that one. Yeah, so somebody needs to take over that. I'm good with the teenage 20-something boys. I can teach the parents of them, like, listen, they'll figure it out. They'll sleep in a laundromat. They're okay, whatever. To be able to say... Now, that's going to... I'm going to get attacked for being misogynist or not equal or whatever. No, things are not equal. No, but you've already admitted that you were... In the past, that you were a, a soft touch, you know, that you would give 20 bucks. You, yeah, yeah. You were, you, were the, you were equally as a soft touch as any of these parents and stuff when it came yeah. to dealing with your son, Elijah. Yeah, so no. I'm in the same position. I have three daughters, so yeah. Uh, that, I, what I, am I, I going to say? I'm, yeah. Well, there's. I just know that it's it's way different, and so parents, we need to have a conversation about that. To it's be way a, different. To be able to say to my, uh, to be able to say to my son, um, uh, you know, I have to, I have to allow you your experience. You know, I, as much as, you know, I'm going to let, you know, all I ask is that you not be under the influence if you come to visit how my about, house. How oh, about, no, mine are getting in the car with me, and I'm driving to Oklahoma. I'm driving somewhere. I'm taking off work. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying three months ahead of rent, and I'm just driving. We're going to spend a lot of time together. Oh, really? Yep. So here's, here's my, here's the other thing. I had to be confident that that my older son and you know people know who it is so he doesn't like me to talk about it but it's so important for for my journey with him and how good it turned out his life turned out and i just want to help with other parents to understand this so i had to at a certain point when he was about 22 say you know what he's got forest genetics and he's got forest fundamentals and forests are survivors that i really had to have confidence in that Either I had provided to him what it means to be a survivor and the knowledge that you need to have to be a survivor, or I hadn't. And if I hadn't, shame on me. And if I hadn't, he fails, shame on him, right? But I knew our genetics are strong. Like, literally, I should be dead. There's no doubt about it. 
but something in forest Irish fucking Swedish stock. It's just, you can't kill us that easily. My dad was brain dead, lived for another year. <laughs> I've been brain dead for 10 years. <laughs> Beat that. No, no, but because he was Catholic, they had a tube up his nose <laughs> oh, and he no. had, you know, they kept feeding him just a little bit. Right. Right. His heart, his blood pressure, everything fine. Just like, I'm going to be here, motherfuckers. Right? right? And my mom wouldn't pull the plug because they're Catholics. And it, like, he was, there was a little bit of this white stuff going up this too. How horrible. What a, what a way to go. I was like 15. I go visit him after school and my mom would say, talk to him. And I was like smart enough to know, like, he's brain dead. <laughs> he's not in a coma. Him. He's brain dead. <laughs> this isn't like those soap opera things where they're going to recall everything. And it was just so weird. And then all of a sudden we got the call, like, you know, something had happened, something gave out. But, but so I have this confidence that like, even brain dead, even with minuscule food, forests survive, right? My Uncle Jerry's still alive. He's in his 90s. I asked him, I saw him down in the desert. He lives wait, in, wait, wait, what? man. Was that, was that your grandpa? Grandpa, yeah, my grandpa. Grandfather, dad, or my your grandpa, yeah. sister, dad? My grandpa, Sister, brother, dad. My grandpa. Don't, don't complicate it. My grandpa it. who raised me. Oh, He's 50% sister. of my genetics, right? Mm, right. Or 25%. No, he's 50. Well, no, yeah, he's 25%. 25%. And then uh, the Thornblad Swedish is 25%. And then 50% I don't even know. Did you know your real dad? No, I've never met him. You've never met him. I know his name. I know where he lives in Hawthorne. Hmm. And he's still alive. He's still alive. Oh, we've got to do something. Man. His, I've tried, and, I, and it's a really, it's a, I understand the situation. We can talk about it another time. But, but so... And and I know about his side of the family. I know about my grandparents. They live till God knows when, right? So my uncle Jerry, I go to him. I go, I go, Uncle Jerry, you got any explanation? Because he was the second youngest and has lived the longest, right? So my dad had nine brothers and two sisters, and I was like eight brothers and two sisters. So I said, "How do you explain that, Uncle Jerry?" And he goes, "Never drank, never smoked. He's living in his nineties. Never drank, never smoked." So something, I have this faith that forest genetics, they just, you survive, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you're not dropping off at, at 45 or 50. A lot of people used to do that. A lot of people used to fall out young. And my mom's, my, my mom's mom is. You know how I'm built? Whole... I'm built in a weird way. Like I got, my dad was kind of like this too. You got a short body, you got short legs, long body, weirdly short arms right so i just love telling this story so when i first got into new york and it was the tsol guys taught me how everything you need to know about new york in one afternoon mike roach and ron taught me everything you need to know we were playing irving plaza with them and we were loading in and i saw them just go out and just head east and i was like where are you guys going and they're like you know how they are pretty guarded stoic back then they're like uh going to visit a friend and i go can i come (laughs) (laughs) i knew where they were going i didn't need to sound check what the hell do you need a sound check for so i followed them they went to the spot you know very similar to the sid and nancy spot like in a burned out old building you walk through and then there's a bunch of guys in this buy buy ten dollar bags right so so I loved New York from the, I was like an 84, 85, that was an 85. So I loved New York, but I wasn't really hip to 
the one-way street thing. I don't know if you're because if you're from Orange County, like there's well, such yeah, big dividing, it, it, it dividing yeah. things, and huge streets, and, and everything square, wide, and yeah. big, Strip and malls. and so I was, I had gone to cop like this is probably '86, so I was staying with Ann Dagnella, Mike, and I, I got cop, and then I was still nervous to do it out in public, so I was like trying to get back to the spot, to back to the apartment to do it, and I'm going really fast, and I don't look left, and I just get hit by this cab, you know, because I looked left. You know what I mean? I didn't look right. You know what I mean? And I got hit by this cab. He was probably going 30. I fly over the cab and I land on the ground. And a couple people like came up to me and I was like, I stood up and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I got hit by a cab. I didn't even break anything or nothing. Did you just, check your bindle to see if you still had yeah, your bindle? Oh, fuck yeah, I did. You got to feel for that bindle. Had a little dragon on it or something. Or <laughs> <Yeah>. something. <laughs> Bullseye. It, it was so funny. Because Anne lived at 6th and 1st Avenue. And the dope spots back then were at candy stores on like ninth and avenue a or b well yeah do you remember going down there and and they would drop a bucket from like yeah five yeah, stories yeah. High. yeah 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 drop just a like in the sid and nancy with a, with a movie on it and you put your money in it and then your come money down way up the fucking thing and then no boom, way dope, yeah it was just like in, in that movie it was just like in that movie and then well, if you they were didn't gonna get busted they uh, didn't they didn't you know no nobody could get them but also if you were gonna buy 10 bags for eight ninety dollars, you could buy them in this candy store. You just put the money up. There's this candy everywhere, but a bulletproof glass, and then they'd slide the dope under the in this. Yeah, it was almost glass. like a, it was almost like eBay. Like you had a <laughs> reputation or something, you know. You had a reputation to uphold, so you didn't rip people off. Yeah. because like then nobody would come and you know put the money. And in so the bucket. imagine that I got hit by a cab. I just kept walking to Ann's house. I got shit to do. Yeah. But you wow. know, and I always remember that. Like I broke my back. I didn't go to the hospital. I had dope. I, I I didn't know it was broken, but turns out it was. So I just felt like my son's got that genetic. He's going to be all right if he can figure out how to get at peace with himself a little bit. And we are not And he gonna... just stays away from the hospital. There's a lesson there. Just yeah. stay away from doctors. Well, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, I didn't have health insurance. You couldn't go to a hospital. You have to go to County USC and wait eight hours. Fuck that. If I would have had health insurance, I might be addicted to prescription drugs. How mm. sad would that be? I mean, not nearly as interesting. No. So, so I just had faith and, and, he had some ups and downs and yeah, I helped and whatever, but there's been this faith I've had like sooner or later, he's going to fucking write himself or he's not. And I don't have any influence on whether he does or doesn't. Right. It's beyond the, the realm of our control. You can worry about it, but what good that. does that do? But don't you think parents need to realize that? I mean, I understand at 19, you're not going to be able to do that, but it, I have clients whose parents, the clients are like 26 and the moms are still calling me, how's he doing? Here's a nice clinical way of saying, well, he's still unsurrendered and he's resistant, but he's, you know, he's, he's hanging in there and blah, blah. Chuck, you do it. Chuck will give because Chuck is a way better clinician than I am. Hi, Chuck, how, how's, how's he doing today? Well, he's, he's still here, so you can sleep, <laughs> you can rest. Uh, I didn't speak really to a parent as a KDAC counselor from... 2000 till 2009 probably no parents mm. like some parents would come by the family group but they would never ask about how their kids doing 
Right. They'd just be like, you know, what do we need to do to 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 get ready for whatever's next? And I was like, well, I mean, you just tell me you can't live at your house. That'll help me a lot. You know, it was just more practical instead of this. How is he doing today? The feeling stuff, right? So somehow we have to help parents understand like doesn't really matter how he's doing today it's like a, you're looking at a snapshot instead of watching a long movie you want a snapshot and we don't know where it's going i can tell you good signs i can tell you bad signs that you just said the good he's still here he's following he's doing what he's supposed to be doing yes you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so that's good way. but you know, on another side of me, I'm like, we got a long haul here. Oh, I always, I've I also started, done utilization utilization reviews where I'm going, wow, this guy is hitting, uh, he's firing on all eight, he's hitting all the all the points he's supposed to hit, and then they're gone the next day. And the same thing with the opposite of you know where they're they're not showing up to groups, they're being yeah, yeah. they're totally resistant, they're 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 provoking other clients, and they're the ones that end up working for the place at the end of it. So and then there's everything else in between. So there's there are some educated guesses to be made, but I would I would never bet I would never bet one hundred percent on anybody one way or the other. No, I always say the same the same thing. So. In 1992, I was in an outpatient program at the Beverly Hills Recovery Center. It was on Rodeo and Olympic. And it was very elite rehab. And I hated the counselor there. George, his name was. And well, but he I sounds like a dick. But, but <laughs> anyways, a friend of mine was in there. David White. You remember David White, Mike? Out on the west side in Santa Monica? Uh, no. Okay, so... David White was in there, and he was a H dealer, right? That's what we used to call it, H. H. So David tells me he keeps wanting to leave, and I go, dude, don't leave. You know, and I'm like, I've got like three weeks sober. He's got like four days, and he wants to leave. And then he tells me, I got a bunch of dope in my house. Oh. Give me a ride. And I was like, no. I ran to Gloria work there. I said, the reason why he wants to leave all the time is he's got a bunch of dope at his house. And she goes, all right, we'll handle it. So... George, the counselor, and the nurse went to go get the dope. Well, apparently, George took a little for himself and died that night. Wow. So we report for group that next morning, and no one comes to do the group. Then the whole day kind of unfolds, and the guy is dead. I'm the worst client. I used to argue with him, didn't want to go to his groups. I only want to go to Gloria's groups. I was treatment resistant. Gloria had to calm me down to like, I would say, fuck it. I'm not going to do this outpatient. Give me my money back. And I was the biggest asshole. And this guy was the counselor. Look at what happened. So I just always take that lesson. Like you never know the biggest asshole in the world could be the next guy that helps a lot of people. And the guy in charge might be dead tomorrow because I've literally experienced that. All right. So have some hope, have some faith, but don't pay your kids cell phone bills. See you next time. <laughs> hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you the call.